You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, this is week number five and the conclusion of our series called The Truth About Suffering, and we're going to talk about this and get into some things today. Uh, As I told you last week, we're going to talk about the suffering that we as believers are supposed to go through. And uh, so just be encouraged. Hold on, buckle your seatbelt. Don't don't check out on me yet. But uh, what we've been doing throughout this study is we've been looking at the life of the, the case study of human suffering from the Bible, who is Job, okay? Somebody said job. Well, if you need one, we'll pray for you, all right? But, but we've been looking at, at the book of Job, and here's why, because most people, believers and unbelievers, uh, base their perception of God on how, and, and let me just switch that, most unbelievers base their perception of God, what they understand about God based on what they see in human suffering that's experienced in people's lives throughout the world. And you know, you'll hear things like, well, if, if God is such a good God, then why do all these bad things happen all over the world? Why do people suffer the way that they do and things like that? And so what they do is they base their perception on what they see happening. And uh, really what, what the scripture teaches us, and we, we went to this in the first week, and that is this, Jesus said that to the degree that you have a clear, healthy perception understanding of God is the degree that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against you. So it is imperative that we have a good biblical, clear understanding and revelation of of God and that he is good and, and not shape our perception on what we think, but look to the word of God for what the Bible says. So we've been using James chapter 5 verses 10 and 11 as our foundation scriptures And it says this, and of course it makes reference to uh, Job. And it says this, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Somebody yell out and tell me what patience means. Say it real loud, Kathy. Consistency. Patience doesn't mean to put up with. Patience, if you look it up in the dictionary, it means to be constant, to be consistent. And so what he says is, Look at the example of not just what people went through, but look at how they remained consistent while they were going through it. Verse 11, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So two things that we're supposed to gain from looking at Job is not our understanding of God per se, but is uh, the, the consistency, the persistence, the perseverance of Job, and then the intended end of the Lord. Now, we looked at Job 42.10, which says that when Job, after he came out of his trial, when he prayed for his friends, that the Lord restored to him just a little bit. You remember what it was? The Lord restored to him, yell it real loud, somebody, double. 
He got double. So here's what I want you to see is, is that God had an intended end for, the, for, for Job, and what that was was to restore what the enemy had taken from him and not just restore a little bit, but to bring him out so much on top that he had double what he went into his trial with. By the way, you know, a lot of people have the misunderstanding that Job's trial lasted for years and years and years. Most biblical scholars believe that it was six to nine months max, and this is talking about a guy who lived 200 years or more. So again, as I've said to you, you know, I'm, I'm 39 years old. Okay, praise the Lord. Pastor's lying in church. No, I'm 59, and so I have learned, and again, I'm not taking away anything, uh, diminishing at all what Job suffered. It was awful. But what I want you to see is, is that when you get to be a little older, maybe younger people, it's kind of hard to understand this, but when you get to be a little older, six to nine months is not long at all. Matter of fact, you know, I look at we're 10 months into this year, and this year has gone by quick. So my point is this, again, not to take away from what Job went through, but it did not last a lifetime. It was for a very short period of time, and the balance of his life was a life that was good. Amen? So the, the, the thing that we want to see, and this is, again, what I want to point out to you, the verses, these verses tell us to be inspired by Job's patience, his perseverance, and endurance, and the mercy and grace of the Lord that brought great deliverance. Now, here's something I want you to get. This isn't in your notes. This is absolutely free. If you're in a time of suffering right now, guess what? It is temporary, and God has a great deliverance for you as well, and will bring you out. Amen? Okay, so today's lesson, we're going to look at the types of suffering that we as Christians are going to go through and how that experience is designed to bring us into God's highest and best, okay? So just bear with me. And then also, what are we supposed to do while we're suffering, okay? So let's establish something right up front. If you're taking notes, write this down. It is never the will of God for the believer, the Christian, to suffer with those things that Jesus has redeemed us from. That ought to be good news for somebody. It is never the will of God for Christians to experience those things that Jesus paid a great price to set us free from. Let me say this to you. Sickness and disease was covered by Jesus at the cross. Poverty, lack, insufficiency was covered by Jesus at the cross. Uh, lack of peace, mental torment, all those things, oppression, depression, all of those things, Jesus has set you free from. So how foolish would it be for God to send Jesus to the cross to die for us, to pay that price, and then turn right back around and make it his will for you to have to experience those things? What a waste of time. What a waste of great effort and blood and, and everything that we just celebrated in the communion. So what I want you to see is it is never God's will for you to suffer with those things. Can, can I get an amen, a little squeak or something? All right. Let's look at a scripture. Now, I'm going to just let the cat out of the bag right now and say something to you. Um, what we saw in the book of Job is not our model for suffering. 
for what you and I are supposed to suffer. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. says this, Though he, Jesus, was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he, say that word, suffered. So Jesus suffered. Now let me ask you a question. Do we have any record in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus being sick? No. Do we have any record in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus not having enough money to pay his bills? Okay. Do we have an, any record in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus couldn't get along with people? Now religious people didn't want to get along with Jesus, but Jesus did his best to get along with them. Okay? In other words, Jesus didn't have a whole bunch of relationship problems. He didn't experience a lack of peace. Matter of fact, we have record in the Gospels where Jesus was so consumed with peace that even in the middle of a storm, he was able to fall asleep in the front of the boat while the disciples were struggling in the storm. That's how much peace he walked in. So, it says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So there must have been something else that he suffered. Verse 9, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, <coughs> excuse me. So what he suffered did something for him. It brought about a perfection. Now, somebody said, well, I thought he, he was the son of God, that he was already perfect. You need to understand that Jesus, when he came into the earth, set aside everything that made him divine, that made him uh, eternal in the sense of uh, all the things, the posture, position that he had before he came into the earth. He set all of that aside so he could be just like you and me. Now, Jesus functioned as a man, he was 100% God, but he was 100% man. But here's the thing that I want you to see. He had to grow. He had to be perfected. And he did that by learning obedience through that which he suffered. Okay? So if you're writing notes, take this down, please. And that is this. There is a positive, right, God-ordained kind of suffering that will bring us to the place in our lives of maturity where we experience God's highest and best. Now, we're going to look at some scriptures that say Jesus would have never been able to accomplish what he accomplished, which was God's ultimate plan, God's highest and best, unless he suffered what we're going to talk about he suffered with, okay? So there is a positive, right, God-ordained kind of suffering. And I can tell you all are so excited about finding out what that is. Okay. All right. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, Peter wrote and he said this, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, be perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So I don't know about you, but when I have a tendency to go through temptations, tests, and trials, they don't do what this verse just said. They don't establish, strengthen, and settle me. They have opportunity for me to get upset, get worried, get anxious, and get everything but unsettled or but settled, okay? But there is what, what Peter is saying. There is a suffering 
that is designed to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And so that is a hope that we have to look forward to in this suffering. So the sufferings indicated in these verses will perfect you, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Now here's a problem. What we have a tendency to do is we take what we see in the book of Job, what we see going on in the world, maybe what we see going on in the lives of people close to us, and we mix that kind of suffering with the kind of suffering we're going to talk about today. We just pour it all in one big pot, and we dump it out, and we just call it suffering, thinking that's what life is supposed to be for us. That's the example that we're supposed to go through. And, and so we, we have a tendency to tolerate the things we're supposed to reject and reject the things we're supposed to put up with and tolerate and go through. I'm going to say that again. We have it wrong where we have a tendency to reject the things that are supposed to perfect us, mature us, and develop us, and we tolerate the things that are trying to bring destruction into our lives. Okay? So here's what I want you to see. Write this down, please. Job is not, everybody say not, our example of what we are to suffer in this life. He is not your example. Now you can learn from his example. What did, what did James tell us? We can learn about his consistency and his perseverance, but he is not our example of the way our lives are supposed to be lived out. Now, here's what I want you to see. Job, let me, well, let me ask you a question. Did Job experience sickness and disease in his life? Okay, if you've read the book, you know that he did. Did he experience financial collapse? Okay, did he experience depression and oppression? Did he have some relational problems? Well, he was married to one. <laughs> I mean, listen, like I've said to you, and I'm, I'm joking when I say this, I don't mean any harm, but when you've got a wife that stands up and tells you, hey, why don't you just get up and curse God and die? Yeah, that is a problem. <laughs> you need some marital counseling. Okay, all right. Now, here's what I want you to see, and this is the crux of our entire message today. Write this down, please. Our example of what we are to suffer is Jesus. Jesus is our example of what we are supposed to suffer. He is our example of Christian suffering. And you will not find any of the things that Job suffered with in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Okay? Now, today we're going to talk about there are three basic types of suffering that the believer is going to experience. Everybody say, yay, praise the Lord. Okay, I can, again, I can tell y'all are just so excited to, to hear this and to receive this. Okay, so three types of suffering that you and I are going to go through. Now, keep in mind, these three types of suffering are designed to perfect you, settle you, establish you, and to help you grow and mature. Matter of fact, can I say this to you? You will never enter into God's highest and best for your life unless you do suffer with these three things. Okay? All right. I can just tell y'all are sitting on the edge of your seat, just waiting. Here we go. Matthew chapter 4, and let's look at verses 1 through 11. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. 
It says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, there's a couple of reasons that, that it, this is articulated this way. Number one, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to this situation so that he could be tried by the devil. Now, here's why. Because if Jesus could bring about a victory in these temptations, it paved the groundwork for you to be able to have victory in these areas as well. He is our example, okay? So, it says this in verse 2, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, this is a double whammy right here, because just before Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, he was baptized by John the Baptist. And if you'll recall, when he came up out of the water... The heavens opened, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, and the God spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus got a direct revelation from heaven that, that God was pleased with him and that he was the Son of God. In other words, God signed off on his ministry. Now notice what the first thing that the devil tempts him with is this. If you are the Son of God, now, I don't know about you, but the Scripture says this. I'm hungry after a day of fasting. Can we be real? Uh, you know, some of us, and, and listen, <laughs> I get hungry when I fast a meal. Jesus got hungry after he fasted 40 days. Now, okay, I've never done that. I've gone a week. That's about as long as I've gone, okay? And... Uh, the thing, and the reason, it's interesting that it says, and afterward he was hungry, because when I believe God calls you on a God-ordained fast, there's a grace that comes on your life. Now, I don't know that God will ever call you to a 40-day fast. If he does, fine. But don't just set out on it unless you have that grace on your life, okay? Now, again, notice the temptation. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands, lest they, lest they shall bear you up, Lest you In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, I, I have to make a commentary here and say this. The devil can quote scriptures as well as anybody. Okay? Now, if you read Psalm 91, he did not quote this right. Because he left off the first verse. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty and then these things come on, on your life. Okay, we studied that when we studied the 91st Psalm. Okay, so Jesus' response was, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In verse 8, and again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, 
you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, here's the first type of suffering that you and I are going to experience. And this is low level suffering here, okay? But it is a step that you're gonna have to go through in order to get to God's highest and best for your life. And that is this, the first type of suffering comes because of temptation which works on our flesh and our soul. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this since you've become a Christian, but you will be tempted, okay? You will be tempted. And I'm gonna say this to you, the reason that it is suffering is because it is painful to say no to your flesh. Your flesh don't like it, okay? Let, let me give you an example. How many of you drink coffee in here? How many of you drink it every day? Could be honest, okay, no condemnation, no, judge, no judgment, all right? Okay, well, let me, let me show you how your flesh will rebel against you. Stop drinking coffee all of a sudden. You'll start getting those caffeine headaches and withdrawals and all that kind of stuff. That's your flesh craving that, okay? How about this? How about when God taps you on the shoulder and says, I need you to cut out sweets and sugar and all that kind of stuff? Some of you would stand up and say, mm-mm, devil. <laughs> okay, all right. No, when you, when you make a decision to do that and say no to your flesh, I can promise you your flesh is going to rebel because it is painful to say no to your flesh when it wants something that it should not have, okay? So this is the lowest level of suffering that we will experience, but it is a prerequisite to us experiencing our divinely appointed destiny. Can I say this to you? You will never get to the, the level of operating in God's highest and best until you can say no to your flesh. Hallelujah. Okay, so this is the first level of suffering. It's temptation that will work on your flesh and on your soul. Now, I want to just say something, okay? Now, listen to me carefully. Notice that Jesus, again, was, was led by the Spirit into this situation to be tempted by the devil. I'm going to say this to you. God will never lead you around the devil. Here's why. He wants you to whip him. And he knows you can. He knows that he put everything in you that you need in order to defeat your adversary. He's given you his name. He's given you his power. He's given you everything. So God is not going to subvert our path around what the devil tries to introduce to our lives in the form of temptation just so you can avoid it. He wants you to win, and he knows you can. Hallelujah. Everybody lift your hands and say, hallelujah. No, I'm just kidding. Okay? See, the Holy Spirit will direct you into places of confrontation with the devil. He will. I remember when I went to Bible school, uh, 41 years ago, okay? 
I know that's hard to believe. I went at eight years old, all right? When I went to Bible school, and uh, I knew that I knew that I knew that I had a directive by the Holy Spirit to, to go to Bible school. I moved 1,100 miles away from home over everything that was familiar to me. Been the first time uh, I'd ever been away from home. I had no job, no place to live, and no car. I just had enough money to register for school and to buy my books and to do what was necessary. And, but yet God led me into that situation. Now, I want you to understand something. Was it tough? Yeah, because I had just left a home where my mama cooked meals for me. I had a nice bed. I had a roof over my head. I had transportation everywhere I wanted to go. But why did God lead me into that situation that looked hard? It's because two things. Number one, he wanted to show me how he could provide for me and meet my needs and number two, he wanted me to learn how to stand in faith for what he wanted to provide for me. Now, I will say this. When I got out there, within a week, I had a place to live, I had a job, and by December, I had a car. So God was faithful. God provided. And see, he needed, he, God knew what was on the inside of me. He needed me to find out what was on the inside of me. He needs you to find out what he's deposited on the inside of you. Amen. Okay. So how did Jesus win in this temptation? Anybody interested how Jesus overcame temptation? All right, here's the first thing Jesus did was he denied his flesh. Jesus made a decision, I am not going to be controlled by this physical body. Okay. He made up his mind. Uh, as, as uncomfortable as it might be, as hungry as I might be, or whatever the case is, I will not let my flesh control me. And again, you are going to have to say no to your flesh. Once you say no, it is clear by this example, the tempter is not going to give up that easy. He will come back with something else. So you got to be established in that decision. Now, here's something else Jesus did. The second thing that you must do is put the sword of the Spirit in your mouth and overcome with the Word of God. It's not enough for you just to not eat that sugar. You better put something in your mouth called the Word of God and what God has told you to do to give you strength and ability and power to overcome that thing. Hallelujah. Okay? So what it, when the temptation shows up, do what is ever, whatever is necessary for you to keep the word before you and in your mouth. And I promise you, based on the example that we see in Jesus' life, you can win in that temptation. Now, I saw something as I was studying this, and, and, and I learned something. You know, I'm still learning too. And there have been times when I've been tempted in, an, in, in, in a, a certain area and I would stand up and, and say, no, in Jesus' name, and then I would speak the word of God and I could not understand why it just kept coming back and coming back and coming back. Well, here's the key, and this isn't in your notes, but this is the key. You're gonna have to out-persist the devil, which is what Jesus did. 
Now, notice what happened, though. Okay, let me go back up here. Look at verse 11, that last verse there. It says, then after Jesus did what? He stood on the word, denied his flesh, and spoke the word. Then the devil left him. The same thing is true for you that if you will last and outlast him, he will leave you alone. Amen. So whatever you need to do, do what you've got to do so you can win against that temptation. All right, so let's look at the second type of temptation. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Jesus said this, blessed are those, everybody say blessed. We want to be blessed, amen? Don't, don't you want to be blessed, okay? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the second type of, of suffering that you and I will endure will be persecution for Jesus' sake and the gospel. Now, can I say this to you? If you've never experienced persecution in your life as a believer, number one, buckle your seatbelt, and number two, you might want to check. You might not be doing something right. Because when you're living for God, and, and especially when the Word of God starts bearing fruit in your life, can I say this to you? There's going to be some folk who will not like it. Okay? Especially when you start getting healed, you start getting enough where all of your needs are taken care of and you're able to be a blessing to other people. Well, look at him. He's just showing off. You want to help people, bless people, and people are going to persecute you because they think you're just trying to be something. No, I'm just doing what God told me to do. Okay? So the second type of persecution is the suffering that we will face because of Jesus' sake and the gospel. Now, I'm going to say something, and I want you to hear me carefully. A lot of people suffer persecution not because of Jesus, but because they bring it upon themselves in the way they approach unbelievers with the word. Can I, I'm going to say something to you, all right? You ready? God never called you to beat people up with the word. He never called you to be a Bible beater where all you do is walk around and correct people, try to adjust their lives. Here's what you're trying to do. You're trying to be their Holy Ghost. You can't, okay? And a lot of times, Jesus said it this way. He said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Now, a lot of times what we do is we take precious things that are valuable to us out of our relationship with God, and we try and beat up people into submission to those things and they're not where you are. So listen, if you're getting persecuted for that, you deserve it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Here's another th reason we get persecuted is we do stupid stuff in Jesus' name and call it being led by the Lord. Okay, that was no more the Lord leading you 
Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay. What I want you to see is when you are living your life as a believer, persecution will find you. You're not going to have to search for it. Okay? All right. Now, what's the answer? Matthew 5, 12, we read it just a moment ago. Jesus said this, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. <laughs> I, you know, this is hard to get happy when people persecute you and talk about you because of your life as a believer. But Jesus said, rejoice, be exceedingly glad for your reward is in heaven where they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus told us to rejoice when we are persecuted. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when they see the word of God producing in your life and, and, and the Lord working in your life and changing you and helping you become more like him and people don't like it, be okay with it. Okay? Now, I want to just take a second to comment on this. You've probably heard this scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39, which, by the way, is just a few verses after what we just read about being persecuted for the gospel, all part of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, I, need, I feel like I need to explain what Jesus was saying here. Jesus was not implying that you need to be a punching bag for anybody. Not at all. If you put it in context, let me break this down for you. If you put this in context, he's talking to his disciples, the 12 and the 70 overall, how to conduct themselves in ministry. Now, later on in the Sermon of the Mount, he opens it up for everybody when he begins talking about prayer and forgiveness and all those types of things. But in this particular section right here, he's telling his disciples how to handle themselves in ministry. Now, notice what he said. But to you do not resist an evil person. Jesus is not saying if somebody comes up and attacks you, do not defend yourself. He is not. I, and I would, well, I can't suggest this for you, but I would suggest, here, I said it again. I, let me just say I, if you want to attack me, especially in my home, I have a peace that passes all understanding <laughs> that you're going to come in contact with. Jesus did not imply that you do not protect you and your loved ones and your property. Okay? But yet there are Christians that say, well, you know, I'm just supposed to turn the other cheek. Okay, no. You only turn the other cheek as it pertains to to preaching the gospel, not in your individual life as a believer. You better learn how to protect you and your family. Okay? Now, my police officer and in in my friend in the rear of the building did not hear the previous two minutes worth of comments. No, I, I know him. He would help me. 
If he lived down the street from me and I was being attacked, all I'd have to do is call him and he would come and help me. He'd bring some more peace that passes all understanding. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to understand. When you are persecuted for the gospel's sake, write this down, please. You do not need to defend yourself. It's hard. It's hard. Particularly when people say wrong things about you. Somebody said, well, pastor, have you ever had anybody say wrong things about you? Yes. The temptation is to stand up and defend yourself. But you can't and you shouldn't. All right? Now, here's why. Look at Psalm 5, verse 11. Uh, David wrote, and he said this, but let all those who rejoice, who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. Now, as a minister, as a pastor, if I'm doing a bunch of foolishness, I deserve some persecution and people talking about me. But when I'm endeavoring to live a life of integrity, when I operate in ministry with the highest level of integrity that I possibly can, when we endeavor to do everything right, I can trust that God will defend me. I don't have to answer. Okay? Now, again, if there was a bunch of foolishness going on behind the scenes, I, listen to me. Just like God will be my defender if I'm doing right, the Bible says be careful that your sins will not find you out. In other words, if there's a bunch of foolishness going on behind the scenes, it will come out. Here's why. Because God loves me as much as he loves you and his mercy is poured out in my life and he wants me to get caught so that I can get help. Okay? Is this helping anybody? All right, so I just need to say that you do not need to defend yourself. Somebody said, Pastor, have you ever defended yourself? I did, okay? A few years ago, I did. And you know what? God made me call him back up and apologize to him and ask for forgiveness because I gave him a what for. <laughs> I didn't cuss. I didn't do anything like that. I told them the truth but I didn't do it with the right heart motivation, okay? So God had me call him back up and apologize and ask for forgiveness, okay? And you know what? I'd rather please Jesus and them think I was wrong than try and correct them and displease Jesus. Praise the Lord. So the first type of suffering you're gonna deal with is what? Pop quiz. Temptation, right? <laughs> the second type of suffering you're going to deal with is persecution. All right, let's wrap this up and let's talk about the third type. And this is the hardest type. In other words, each of these have graduated. Once you learn how to overcome temptation and overcome your flesh, then I promise you persecution's right around the corner. Once you learn how to properly deal with persecution, this third one is right around the corner. So look at Luke chapter 22, verses 41 through 44. It says this, and this is the last few hours of Jesus' life. He, he's, he's not far from going to the cross. And the Bible says that he and his disciples went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says that he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, 
Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, we don't like to say this about Jesus, but it is just straight up the truth. What Jesus was saying is this. Listen to me. I really don't want to do this, but I'm willing to surrender what I want to what you want. Now, what was it he was getting ready to have to do? It says, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, here's what I want you to see. This level of suffering, if Jesus did not experience this, then he would have never gone to the cross if he had never gone to the cross, he would have never been gloriously raised from the dead. If he wasn't raised from the dead, then he would never have his place as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This right here was necessary for him to get to that point. So here's number three. The third type of suffering that you're going to experience is the kind of suffering that comes from dedicating your life completely to the service of other people. That's what Jesus was doing. Now, you're not going to have to go to the cross for people. You're not going to have to die for people per se, but you are going to have to surrender your life in service to other people. That's what the Christian life is all about. You know, and, and, and one thing that I've learned is that this Christian life is a process of learning on a daily basis. It's not about me and what I want, it's about Jesus and what Jesus wants. In other words, praying the same kind of prayer that Jesus prayed, not my will be done, but yours be done. And so Jesus says, okay, that all being said, I need you to serve other people. Uh-uh. You know those folks. You know how they are. they just mean. They're just rude. I don't want to serve them but I need you to serve them, okay? I need you to lay down your life in service. See, our priority in life needs to be how we serve other people in the gospel. Most of the time, and this is human nature, we're serving our purpose and our agenda. Our paradigm must be that our purpose on the earth is in service and for service to other people. You know, for years, and I'm not saying, please, I have no ulterior motivation when I'm getting ready to say what, I, what I'm going to say. I used to say all the time, and, and I've been a senior pastor now for 17 years, and I used to say all the time, I never will go portable. Well, I've learned now don't ever tell the Lord you're never going to do something, okay? Because what you'll find is you'll end up doing what you said you would never do, okay? So I've, I've, I've changed and I've adopted. And so, listen, here's what I had to get to. And there's many, many processes and steps that I've gone through in all these years to, to not just this situation, but... When this opportunity came available for us to be able to meet physically in the school and it meant we were going to have to go portable, the first thing I had to do was say, yes, Lord. Yes, I'll do it. 
I'll do it. And then the second thing I had to do was step up and perform that which I had promised in the sense of I had to make a decision. Now, listen, my preference would be people have asked me sometimes, Pastor, do you ever want to have a permanent building again? Absolutely. I would love to have a permanent building that all you have to do is walk in, turn the lights on, turn the sound on, and you can have church. That would be wonderful. And, and I believe maybe one day as the Lord directs, we'll, we'll get back to that point. But here's where, where I, what I want you to see. I had to arrive to a place in my own heart that if we have to do this from now until Jesus comes back, I am willing. Can I, can I show you something? I don't know if you have a paper Bible handy. Um, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19, says this, If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. A lot of us are obedient, but we're not willing. I had to make an adjustment. I had to get willing real quick, and be willing to say, if this is the way we have to do church, I'm willing to do it from now until Jesus comes back. Somebody says, well, you know, how can you go over there every Saturday and set up and do everything that we do? Now, thank God I don't have to do it by myself. Thank God we've got folks, great, awesome folks that help us do it. And God is adding more and more all the time. Hallelujah. Okay? And, 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 Tear down after service and do everything that we got to do. Now, we have an ideal situation. Thank goodness the school lets us keep our stuff here. We don't have to haul it in a truck, go and store it someplace and all that kind of stuff. If we had to do that, God would provide. But here's what I want you to see. I do this every week so that somebody can hear the word of God and their life be changed. That's why I do it. That's why I do it. That's why I and our team, we make the sacrifice that we do to do what we do so that somebody's life can be impacted by the power of God and by the word of God. And so I am willing, if this is what we have to do from now until Jesus comes back, I'm willing to do it. What does that mean? Here's what I want you to see. I had to come to a place, and it was a place of suffering, where I was willing to set aside what I wanted and put all that aside so that the will of God could be done and the will of God could come to pass. And I promise you, you're going to have to do the same thing. Not, not where set up and tear down the church is concerned. I'm not saying that. I'm saying for your life, you're going to have to arrive at the same place. You're going to have to make the decision because I promise you, particularly if you've been saying like I did, the word never, I ain't never doing that. Guess what? One day, you'll be faced with probably that and uh, you'll have to make a decision. Am I going to do that? And am I going to do it with a willing heart? Now, listen, I'm excited now, okay, in other words, when Saturday afternoon rolls around, I'm excited because I enjoy it. 
God has done something on the inside. It's fun to me. And I hope the people that help me feel the same way, but I enjoy it because it's fun. Now, it wasn't originally that way. Once I got my heart adjusted because of the suffering, it became fun. What I'm saying to you is this. You're going to endure some suffering because of temptation. You're going to endure some suffering because of persecution. And you're going to endure some suffering when it comes time to set what you want aside for the sake of the betterment of somebody else. Amen? Now, I want to show you something. As we, at Just last scripture, James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren and my sisterin, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, temptations, and tests or places of suffering, knowing that the suffering produces consistency. But let consistency have its perfect work that you may be perfect and, in, and complete, lacking nothing. So here's what I want you to do. I want to challenge you with this. And that is when we know these three areas of suffering are coming, and they will, when they come, make up your mind, you're going to count it all joy. Now, how can you count it all joy knowing that suffering is coming? Here's why. Because on the other side of that suffering, if I remain consistent in the middle of it, I'm going to come out on the other side perfected and lacking Nothing. You know, what, you know what lacking nothing means? Let me flip it around and make it positive. I don't want or need anything. Can I get an amen? A cough, a hiccup, or something, all right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. So you can get excited about this suffering. See, the reason we don't like to suffer is because we thought it was going to be like what Job went through. Nope, it's totally different. Amen? So next time... You're persecuted, say, Lord, thank you that I'm worthy to be counted among you to be persecuted for the gospel's sake. Next time you're tempted, say, come on, devil, bring it on because I'm going to whip your tail every single time. And then when it comes time to set aside your will for the service of other people, just know there's going to be a grace and a power and an ability that comes on you that you're going to get excited about doing it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word that we've heard today. Father, I thank you for these awesome people, the people of Spring Hill Church. And Lord, I thank you that the seed of your word has fallen on good ground, their hearts. It's good soil. And Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that the word of God will produce, it will cause fruit to be produced in their lives Father, I thank you right now in Jesus' name. If anyone is experiencing the kind of suffering that's not your plan for our lives, Father, thank you for bringing deliverance. Thank you for bringing victory. Thank you for giving them wisdom and showing them a way out, a divine strategy, Lord, to bring them out of that. And then, Father, for those that might be experiencing the good kind of suffering, Lord, I thank you for your grace and strength to enable them to be able to remain consistent 
in the middle of that suffering. And Father, thank you that you're going to bring us out lacking nothing, full and complete and perfected. And Father, we thank you for it. We praise you for it. Father, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice right now. I thank you for healing in every physical body. I thank you, Lord, for those that might be dealing with pain, sickness, and disease. I thank you that healing flows into their body right now from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. In Jesus' name, sickness and disease, leave their body. Pain, leave their body right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for those that might be here that need peace, Lord. I just ask, Father, for the supernatural peace that passes all understanding to rise up big on the inside of them. And Lord, I thank you that the scripture says, in Jesus' name, I just sense in my heart, there's somebody here, and I don't know who it is, somebody here, you've had difficulty sleeping because your mind is just going 90 miles an hour all the time. In Jesus' name, I take authority over fear, I take authority over anxiety. I break the power of that in Jesus' name and I command peace to come upon you. The scripture says that God gives to his beloved even in their sleep. And Lord, I thank you for restful sleep in Jesus' name. Now you're gonna have to do your part and roll your care over on the Lord, but I just believe with you in Jesus' name that harassment and that worry and anxiety, it stops right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.